rise again from our seats for our scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good, good to see all of you. Uh, can we give a round of applause to our college students who are back once again? Just uh, We are so glad that you guys are back, and we're excited to um, continue uh, in our relationships and our uh, fellowship together throughout the summer. So we have a lot prepared, so be on the lookout for all the announcements and, and whatnot. Uh, we do have a retreat coming up, so please sign up, and I'll make a more official announcement after the message. But yeah, let's, uh, let's begin. So let's bow our heads in prayer, and uh, let's uh, turn to the Lord uh, for the preaching of God's word. Gracious Heavenly Father, speak to us now. We need your spirit. Make Christ be known to all of us. Lord, would you help us to know him, to trust him, and to love him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in a youth group uh, back in Florida, there was a Sunday school teacher who sat us down uh, and gave us a list of 10 commandments. And she asked us to check off each commandment that we feel like we have fulfilled and obeyed. So first, I checked off, you shall have no other gods before me because I didn't believe in any other gods, right? Man, this is pretty good. I'm, 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 I'm off on a good start. And as I was going through each commandment, you know, I kind of didn't want to admit certain sins in my life in front of my church friends. It's a little too embarrassing so, and shameful, so I checked those off. But I also checked off on you shall not murder because I thought murder was probably the worst out of the, you know, everything that's listed in terms of earthly consequences. So we all filled it out. We had to go around and share how many commandments we think we have obeyed. And the holier ones, they said six or seven. And the not-so-holy ones said maybe two or three. And after everyone shared, the Sunday school teacher then dropped the bad news on us. The reality, she said, the, the reality is every one of us failed to obey every single commandment. And as a bunch of middle schoolers, we're like, mind-blown. We're like, oh, shoot. Like, I, I didn't obey any of these. And perhaps for many of us, we see these various commandments, not just from Ten Commandments, and instructions from Scripture, the laws of God, and we find ourselves seeing which is very, which law is doable, which is not so doable. And perhaps for some of us, we feel very strongly about certain commandment, but feel apathetic towards another. But in today's passage, one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, tests Jesus by asking, which commandment is the greatest? 
the most important. And we will see that Jesus answers them in the most surprising, unpredictable way. And so today, for those of you who like to take notes, we will study Jesus' answer under three points. Number one, essence of the great commandment. And number two, the method of the great commandment. And number three, the fulfillment of the great commandment. So number one, uh, the essence of the great commandment. Now, the Pharisees, uh, as many of us may be aware of, were the experts in the laws of God. And they would discuss and even debate over which of the 613 laws were weightier or lighter. That's a lot of laws, right? They would categorize, rank them in the order of severity of sins. So, if Jesus pointed out that only one or two of these laws were the greatest, this would have offended various uh, different kinds of Pharisees and caused further debates. This is a trap against Jesus into saying that every other commandment were less important. However, Jesus' response to the lawyer was astounding. Because Jesus not only answers which from the 613 laws are the greatest, love your God, love your neighbors as yourself, but he also answers that all of the 613 laws depend on the two greatest commandments. Do you see that? So Jesus maintains that all of the laws of God are important. But he goes further. He establishes that at the heart of it, All of the 613 laws are about love. Love. And so the essence of the great commandment is love. Can you say that with me? The essence of the great commandment is love. Yes, God is love. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 says that. But we got to be careful. God is love, but love is not God. Too often, we try to attribute God's love with our own understanding of what love is. But we must allow God for himself to define what love is for us. Too often, we believe that the law and love are incompatible opposed to one another. Law and love, how can they go together? I mean, because in the justice system, law can be pretty heartless and cold, right? But it's not for Christianity. Love and the law actually go hand in hand. Because most of the Ten Commandments, if we see, if, we're, if, we're, if we remember, are prohibitive and negative instructions. So, for example, you shall have no other gods before me, right? You shall not murder. But the two great commandments that Jesus lists here are prescriptive and positive instructions. Do you see that? You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbors. So if you put it together, the positive and the negative, the prohibitive and the prescriptive, 
you shall love the Lord your God by having no other gods before him. Here's another one. You shall not murder because you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Pretty self-explanatory. Because true love requires boundaries. Because if you love your spouse, who is one of our neighbors, you should not commit adultery against him or her. We should not use God's name in vain because we love God. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, I I must ask you, how do you feel towards, feel about the commandments of God? Is it positive or is it negative? Because let's be real, none of us, when we see the Ten Commandments, get really excited. Yeah, Ten Commandments, right? Because they just seem like a bunch of don'ts and can'ts that we must not do. Or perhaps for some of us, we may feel resentment towards the Ten Commandments because it takes away our freedom to do whatever we want. Perhaps you may even feel resentment towards God. Some of us may even feel threatened by these commandments because it makes you feel guilty, shameful. Man, I thought God was loving and accepting. And what what is all this? Why would he make me feel this way with all these commandments? But here's the reality. The law exists for our good. Law exists for our good. It is God's expression of his love towards us. Here's an illustration. Parents. Anybody parents here? We have a lot of parents here, right? (laughs) Parents set boundaries for their children, right? Parents set boundaries because they set rules because they love their children. And it's not to give their children just a hard time with all these arbitrary rules. Loving parents want the best for their children. So, for example, if a child is allergic to peanuts, good parents must set a strict rule for their child to not consume peanuts, right? But how ridiculous would it be for the child to resent the parents for restricting him in this way? And mom, dad, why wouldn't you let me eat the peanuts? Because the reality is, for this child, eating the peanuts will actually take away his freedom to enjoy life because he'll be unable to breathe, he, will be, he won't function properly. Obedience to the rules lead to, leads to life. Our God, who is our heavenly parent, also sets boundaries, namely the commandments, not to restrict us, but it protects us. You and I were designed by our creator. So when he gives us a manual about who we are, how we should function, warning us about what we should and should not do, it's for our flourishing and for our health, for our good. Sin and disobedience, which is to actually to walk away from our design. That's what sin is, right? Sin, disobedience, 
ultimately leads us to harm and death. Wages of sin is death. So in reality, safe boundaries help us to truly and freely enjoy life. That's how God has designed our world and us. And the essence of the great commandment is also what? A relationship. The essence of the great commandment is also a relationship. God desires a loving relationship with us. Amen? But many times, we don't want that healthy relationship with God. Do I love God because of what he can provide for me? Or do I love God for who he truly is? And this is not to say that we can't enjoy the things that God provides for us. However, do I only seek God when I really need something from him? God, I know I haven't prayed in a while, but please help me with this exam. College students, are you you guys familiar with that? And this is often true for us, even with our, you know, loving our neighbors, right? We look for neighbors to love that will benefit us greatly. That's why we network and try to make a lot of friends, make connections. Oh, you like that? I like that too. That way, it will up my chances for my successful future. And this would be a one-sided, maybe even abusive relationship. Even the Apostle Paul acknowledges that love, relationship, is core to everything we must do as Christians. If you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, right? It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And verse 13 at the end of the chapter says, so now faith, hope, love, abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And so, brothers and sisters, do you have a loving relationship with the Lord? Is love your motivation? If not, whatever we do is in vain. Do you just come to worship service out of habit because that's what you've been doing all your life? That's what you grew up doing? Or do you come to worship service to enjoy the presence of God as you also enjoy the company of fellow believers? Do you read the Bible and pray because it's a task that we have to do as Christians? Or as a relationship, do you desire to have a conversation with the Lord, to listen to God through the Bible, and to speak to God through prayer? Do you serve the church because that's a good Christian thing to do? The mature Christians are supposed to do. Or do you serve to genuinely seek for the flourishing of the people of God and for the sake of his coming kingdom? 
Do you see the difference in how we approach? Which leads us to our next point, second point, and the question. The method of the great commandment. The method of the great commandment. Question is, okay, how exactly do I love God? How exactly do I love God? Well, the key is in the latter half of the statement, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In the Mark chapter 12 version of it, it also adds with all your strength. And when I read this, with all my heart, to me it means love God with my affections. Do I treasure him above anything else in this world? Do I desire him above all else? Do I want to be closer to God? With all my soul means love God with your devotion, affection and devotion. Because when I think about the, the word soul, I think about the spiritual, internal element of our being. So when we say all our souls... I think about the entirety of our existence because spiritual and internal being, uh, aspect of our being also affects, greatly affects our physical and outward being, right? How do I love God with all my soul? Are the choices I'm making in life devoted to his purposes above mine? Am I choosing to not just be a listener of the word, but a doer? Of the word. With all my mind means love God with your thoughts, meditation, with your affection, with your devotion, and meditation. Am I spending time to reflect, deeply think upon who God is and what He's done for me, especially as I read my Bible, as I do my QT? So, simply put, We must love God with every aspect of our being and with all of ourselves. Amen? But you might think, wait, Pastor John, I get that, but still it feels like loving God seems a little abstract. How can I tangibly love this invisible God? So yes, come to worship service on Sundays. Yes, do your QT and commune with God through Bible and prayer, service kingdom through the church. But it's even more practical and tangible than that. Let me show you. The key lies when Jesus says in verse 38 to the first part of verse 39, it says, this is the great and first commandment. He's referring to love the Lord your God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. Guess what's going on here? This means that there's a sequence, right? A cause and effect. What comes before and then after. Sequence to the great commandments. Loving God leads to loving our neighbors. Loving our neighbors comes naturally out of our love for the Lord. So another way to put, it, put this is we love God through loving our neighbors. 
Only then, loving God becomes truly tangible, concrete, practical when we love our neighbors. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And so here's the reality. We cannot love our neighbors properly without loving God properly. And you might ask, why? How is that so? Because some of us may say, we love someone, okay? But in reality, that person that you love, you may actually be idolizing them, worshiping them. And when we do, our love for them is distorted, right? Let me show you an illustration. When parents idolize their own children, when they worship their children, they do not merely want their children to be successful. They demand their children to be successful. Do you see the difference? So if their children do not meet up to the expectations and the demands that the parents give, what happens? The parents lash out, get angry, punish them even, or even give up on them. This is not love. But if the parents worship God instead of their, instead of their children, and if the parents love God first and foremost before they love their children, they actually love their children properly. They can be free to desire their children to be successful, but also be free to be okay with their children not being successful. Some of us may idolize our future spouse or our current spouse by believing that they will satisfy us or make us feel complete. And worshiping your spouse is terrible for both you and the spouse. Because if your spouse makes mistakes or sins against you, you will be utterly devastated because you put them on a pedestal and they greatly disappoint you. And you might even refuse to forgive them and might even try to hurt them in return. But if you worship God instead of your spouse, if you love God first and foremost, you no longer demand your spouse to meet all your needs and desires. Instead, what happens, you seek to meet their needs and their desires before your own. You see how worshiping God and loving God reorients properly structures how we live. So then, how exactly do I love my neighbor? And the key is in the latter half of the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? So what do we see here? The Bible assumes self-love, self-preservation, self-care. God never forbids us from loving ourselves. Amen? Amen? Hopefully we're all on the same page with that. I hope we're all taking care of ourselves. Some of us have this twisted mindset of the more we suffer for the Lord, the more dedicated we are to God. 
That's not always true. Yes, God sometimes allows us to go through suffering that leads us to grow, build character, to build endurance. But God does not desire suffering for us. So loving yourself is natural. It's good. It's good to feed yourself when you're hungry. Good to take care of your hygiene, your health, your appearance. It's good to relax and enjoy life. However, what God commands is to love your neighbors with the same measure of how you love yourself. That's why Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 It's the golden rule, right? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Treat others the way you you want to be treated. Pretty simple, right? We must not steal because we would not appreciate other people stealing our stuff. We should not murder because I don't want to get murdered. Right? So... So what's the difference between self-care and selfishness? Selfishness is only caring about self-care. Completely neglecting the care for others. Right? But wait, Pastor John, what about when it says in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Doesn't Jesus promote self-denial? So how do we reconcile between self-denial and self-care? Well, let me just say, self-denial is not denying your own physical, spiritual, emotional health. Self-denial is denying your sinful desires and replacing them with godly desires. That's what self-denial is. Because even Jesus took the time to relax, enjoy food, spend time with people, and even had alone time, like an introvert. But yes, there are times when we must sacrifice something of ourselves to love and to serve others. That's why Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. I mean, I've known many college students who would give up their free time after they're done with their exams to serve others who were still studying for their exams, whether it be cooking, providing them with care packages, or even helping them to study. And so another question that I wanted to ask is, who exactly must I love in my life? Right? Who exactly are my neighbors? And that's why if you notice, the second great commandment doesn't say love people as yourself. What does it say? Love your neighbors as yourself. Because we often get confused on who we must love in our lives Sure, we got to love our family, the church family, and so on and so forth. But is that it? How do I discern which people, which neighbor I must love? Because, Pastor John, I, I have a lot of neighbors in my life. So here's a question. Who do I run into on a regular basis? 
who is within my reach. And neighbors are not just referring to fellow Christians, but also non-Christians. Not just the people who look like you, who share the same interests as you, who share the same culture as you. Your neighbors include those who may be different from you and those who may be difficult to love. Do certain names and faces come up in your mind? Yes, that's, that's who you must love. That's your neighbor. And not just anyone who is within my reach. Anyone who has a tangible need that you see and isn't within your reach. Right? Because it's very difficult for us to love, let's say, people in the other side of this world. Right? It's hard to care and love for those, uh, the people over there because they're too far unless you're going on the missions. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are here in Northern Virginia. You are here. What kind of tangible need do you see in your current surrounding? Do you see a neighbor in a financial need? Do you see a neighbor in need of just a a listening ear? Do you see certain ministries struggling to function because of lack of volunteers? Do you see a friend, family members who just, just need someone to be present, just be there? You don't even have to talk to them. Do you see any unbeliever that needs to hear the gospel, and not just hear the gospel, but to see the gospel playing out in your life? During a winter sojourn retreat back in January, many young adults who served at this retreat not only came out to serve as counselors or, you know, as small group leaders, but even donated at the same time. Because they noticed a financial need amongst the college students, which is very common. And even with this upcoming summer retreat, which college students, you should all sign up. We already have volunteers who are serving and still willing to donate. Praise God. College students, if you're here, you guys are just so loved. You guys are loved by this congregation. Just letting you know. So please receive this love, participate, come out. Don't just hide away, don't just run away after service. Get to know some people after service. Praise God, and thank you to all those of you, not just who are coming to this retreat, but in, in other ways, love the Lord, who, and also who love our college students in these ways. So thank you for that. And this leads me to my final point, the fulfillment of the great commandment, the fulfillment of the great commitment. Pastor John, I I get that we should. We should love in these ways. But what if I'm having trouble doing so? Because the reality is, Pastor John, we often fail to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We often fail to love our neighbor as ourselves. These laws and commandments just seem so burdensome. So some of us only pick and choose the commandments 
that are easier for us to obey. Fooling ourselves into thinking that we are good enough. Oh, I'm an obedient Christian. Or, but for some of us, we just give up altogether. Well, it's impossible anyway, so why even try? And if I were to make a list of the Ten Commandments to check off which one I obeyed, no longer as a youth student, but now as an adult, I would get 0% confidently. God, I have failed in every single way of your law and the love that you call me to. So how can we fulfill this impossible level of commandments that God demands of us? Well, here's the answer. We love because he first loved us. Can you say that with me, church? We love because he first loved us. Amen. We do not love out of our own strength. We do not love out of our own abilities. We love out of the overflow of his love that he abundantly and perfectly poured out upon us. We sang that earlier, right? Oh, your love like a flood pouring out on us. So how exactly has God loved us? How exactly did he love us? He gave his son. He gave his only son. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And jumps down to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Jesus came into this world not to abolish the law, not just to do away with it, but to perfectly fulfill them because we could not perfectly fulfill them. He said not a dot, not an iota in the law will pass until all is accomplished. And what did he accomplish? Jesus loved us by dedicating himself to live the life we should have lived and to die the death that we should have died. Jesus loves us by securing and sharing with us the resurrection and eternal life. Jesus loves us that he would unite himself with sinners like us, with the church, so that anyone who would believe in the Son of God would belong to the body of Christ, would receive all things. Jesus fulfilled love perfectly. And Jesus loves you perfectly. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly because Christ's perfect obedience led him to the wrath of God. So now we can lean on his perfect obedience, not ours, to receive eternal favor from God. Jesus loved us, not just for us to model and try to follow him being as loving as Jesus, Jesus loved us as our Messiah for us to fall upon. Through Jesus, law and love meet in perfect harmony. Marriage. 
Marriage is not just about love, right? Marriage is also a contract that you sign. But when Christ is married to the church, he's not married because the church somehow lived up to his standards, nor because it's just an obligation. I have to love the church because I promise to. Christ loves the church dearly and chooses to make a lawful covenant with her. That even if the church became unfaithful, adulterous towards Christ, Christ would still remain faithful and even lovingly discipline and reconcile with the church. When we look at this truth, brothers and sisters, how could we not love this Lord with all our hearts, with our soul, with all our minds? Jesus is worthy of our utmost affection, utmost devotion, utmost meditation. And now as an overflow of this loving grace, we get to extend the same loving grace to our neighbors. And now Jesus is committed to sanctify us, to change us so that, we, so that we may become more like Jesus, to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. We may become that we may fulfill the great commandments. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now grow in our love for the Lord and our neighbors. Amen? And that's why Apostle John commands us this in 1 John chapter 4. Just listen. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected, perfected, fulfilled in us. So again, brothers and sisters, if you feel burdened, turn your eyes to Jesus. Love Jesus. Look to Jesus. And I want to leave you with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 7. Very popular um, set of verses where it describes what love is. Uh, praise him, you guys can come up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to turn to it, you may. Um, maybe it will help you to kind of see. Wherever it says the word love, I remember one pastor doing this uh, years ago. And I'm going to replace that word with Jesus. So starting from verse 4, it says, Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So even if we fail and fall, let's turn to this God who is love, who embodies perfect love, who demonstrated 
the perfect love, Jesus Christ. Again, again, for he fulfilled what we could not. Let's pray. And so, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love, abundant love, perfected, love fulfilled through your Son, Jesus, whom you have given to us as the greatest gift that we could have ever received. Father, we confess that many of us, we lack in love, whether it be our love towards you, we don't love you with all our hearts, minds, and souls, and strength. We only love you partially, just certain aspects of our lives. We compartmentalize you in our lives, perhaps only at church, perhaps only with our Christian friends. Lord, we don't even love our neighbors as ourselves. Because, Lord, we, oftentimes we love out of convenience. But, God, we thank you that because of your abundant overflowing love for us we can learn we can truly grow in our love for you and love for our neighbors so help us to meditate upon think upon your love help us to enjoy your love to desire it more than any other loves help us to dedicate our lives to taste and see that your love is better God, would you help us? Because we are helpless. We thank you for your son once again. It is through him that we find life. We find love and the laws of God perfectly meet. And now we commit ourselves to you, to love you as a response to the love that you have given to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.